0: Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the dockers foam side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing paper? Swinging your tools the more you gape up? Call us the Tricks of Your Trade!
1: Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed.
0: Does the bill to pay you late? And your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider workers smarter. Don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your
1: Trade! Hello, welcome to episode 39 of the Tricks of Your Trade podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Surson, construction adjudicator, lawyer, and director of Tricks of Your Trade. Today on my podcast, I am interviewing Kian Brennan from Quantum Contracting Solutions. Now, I came across across Kian recently. He is a comrade in arms for us, uh, subby hugging consultants out there who love to make sure that subcontractors are managing their contracts with their builders and getting paid. And ordinarily we would be in competition, but um, I knew when I started watching Kian's messaging on Instagram and LinkedIn and listening to his podcast that we had such a good values alignment that it would be much better for the industry if we joined forces uh, and conquered rather than trying to compete with one another. Now, I want to caveat this with, uh, Kian's background is actually quite similar to mine. He spent bulk time on site. He has a construction management, engineering management background, uh, working for Tier 1s. So, uh, contractor side background has been in the pits, um, part of those closeout teams that we know that those contractors have got and has seen from the front line how those companies operate and what their decision tree is when certain things unfold uh, with the subbies. So I know from experience that when you come across people like this who have been in those roles, working for contractors, and they were so compelled by their experience, or so influenced by their experience, that they go out and they start their own businesses, these are the people that you want to work with because they intrinsically understand what is going on in the builder's camp, but they also, um, in their heart, they were always on your side. So without further ado, I want to introduce uh, Kian Brennan from Quantum Contracting Solutions, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome, Kian, to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you today.
0: I'm delighted to be here, Michelle. Um, We do similar sort of work. Um, So we're on the similar side of what we're trying to achieve. So it's nice to be chatting to you as well.
1: Comrades in arms, I'm absolutely sure. Um, So just for our listeners out there, I found Kian on LinkedIn recently, and one would think that we do the same thing. So both of our businesses are out there to help subcontractors manage their builders' contracts and get paid. And uh, we both aim for good commercial solutions rather than legal sword wars uh, and getting into complicated disputes. So when I came across you, Kian, I was so excited because for many, many years, it's felt like it's just been me out there publicly advocating for subcontractors. And I'm not enough to be able to service all of the subcontractors. And I Googled it before we looked at this podcast. And I think there's about 350,000 subcontracting companies in Australia. So there is so many people who need the services that we provide. And it's fantastic to have found somebody else who's also motivated and driven with the same sort of underlying ethical um things that I do as well. So um, can you give me a bit of a background in terms of who you are, where you came from, um, what your qualifications are and what inspired you to start quantum contracting solutions?
0: Yes. Um, okay, sure. So um I'm my name is Keen Brennan. I'm, I'm a CEO of a, of a company called Quantum Contract Solutions. Uh, you can probably tell from my accents that um, I am I'm from Ireland. And um, so the my background is we kind of have a bit of a family history in construction, in that um uh, my grandfather had a construction company in Galway in the west of Ireland. And um when he died, there was a, a really nice newspaper an article that said um the man who built Galway. And so, uh, interestingly enough, I like so I really wanted to, um, you know, go down. That's that's kind of what inspired me to get into construction. That's something I wanted to do. And um, the advice that I was given by everybody was don't go contractor side. Don't go subcontractor side. The safe bet is go to university, get a degree um, and go client side. And mm-hmm. um, so I did, I did do that, and so I, I, did a, I got a degree in construction economics and management, and I got a master's in engineering management, and I went down that side of things, and for years I mean I still had that I wanted to be on site I really didn't want to be um, like office bound. like mm-hmm. I really enjoyed being on site because when I was younger I was a labourer on building sites um we i mean there's a a, a a good story that we do in one of our I, i'll tell it in one of our podcasts in a bit more in, in detail but um i think the first job i ever had i was 13 me and my cousin were laborers on a building site in ireland and um so as part of that one day they dropped us. Uh, my parents dropped us off and we we're like okay so we're sweeping i think we were uh specifically we were uh just moving stuff around site. we were like um a brickies laborer so like we do all the mortar for him and we'd be sitting there and um one day they like pretty early in they go hey can you guys can you guys drive and we were like oh yeah sure of course we can couldn't obviously but like can you drive a dumper and we're like yeah sure so we um anyway all of a sudden um we were driving dumpers around the site at 13 and um so we're just moving like scaffolding from one place to the other or like, you know, move like filling up the dumper and then dumping it in one place. And then my parents drove by one day just to check on us. And they said they they, they looked in and they saw my cousin Brian driving this dumper around the site. Right. And he, they said the only thing that was missing was a cigarette dangling out of his mouth. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, he was basically a complete construction where a 13 year old driving around. Um, so construction is, you know, being on site, absolutely loved it. Um, I got hired straight out of university to come to Australia. Um, and that's around 2007-2008, And just as the world was imploding, and Ireland specifically was imploding, um, I got a job in, in Western Australia. And mining and oil and gas and construction just blew up over there at the same time. And I remember a call from my father saying, Hey, don't, don't come home. There's nothing, there's nothing for you here. Basically, like you just, you know, right, so stay there. And so, um, you know, i loved adventure and so made my way onto into the Pilbara, onto um, remote uh, sites and construction. And I was got into contracts and and claims, but always, always client side. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then um, my need for a venture took me to the Middle East. So we went to to Saudi and Qatar, and I worked in Iraq as well for two years. And again, it was always client side. But as you know, I, I really love the adventure. I love being on site. But as I was working, I started to see contractors losing money, going out of business over and over and over again. And one of the things that I realized, I had this you know realization that um, they actually don't know how the big companies work. They don't know how tier one construction companies work. They don't know how uh, big companies work. So they would submit documents to me. And oftentimes it's a PM on their side who is doing the contractual stuff as a side hustle to his regular job, right? They'd submit it to me and they don't realize that I have to take this document for a a, a change order, right? For whatever it is, turn around and present it internally. And if the document was terrible, you know, you're just not going to do it because it's a terrible document, right? If they've not complied with the contract, you're not going to do it again. So they just get, they get rejected. And then this happening all of the time it was me rejecting people's invoices it was me rejecting change orders and i'm just so then there's an then the company's going out of business and i really felt it was because of me now you know maybe it wasn't just, it was just policies but i i didn't like it and i don't, i didn't think my granddad would be happy with what i was doing because you know mm-hmm. because because in construction the subcontractors are the only part of the contractual hierarchy where people actually do constructing right? Yes. Because the client, the client doesn't do any constructing. The tier ones are essentially a finance company mm-hmm. that subcontract all the rest. So the only guys that actually do the, the constructing are subcontractors. And so I felt like it was me putting these companies out of business. But the skill set I had was I knew how these inside of these companies work. I knew how to negotiate better terms in the, in the contract in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of construction companies think uh it, it, wrongly so is that if you try to negotiate your contract up front they're not going to give you the, the project
1: because
0: mm-hmm. uh, you look difficult but the reality of the situation is if there's five people bidding and one person doesn't try to negotiate the person uh, doing that tender or that bid looks at you and go that that guy's actually green they don't know mm-hmm. what they're doing yeah. right um, and we're going to get ourselves in trouble dealing with that guy because clearly they're green and so that, that's it works against you um, so the game is they give you the worst contract possible and then they're expecting you to come back. Right. That's the, All the big companies will negotiate. You should, too. Um, and so having been able to understand how that works, then I set up Quantum in 2019, moved back from the Middle East to Australia um, to help subcontractors navigate the insides of these companies to sign better contracts, have better cash flow in their post-award phase. Avoid disputes. You'll know this of all people, Michelle, um, uh, that if you're in a dispute, the ship has already sailed. You're already losing money. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a race to see who loses the least amount of money in in a dispute sort of Mm -hmm. section. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah. So then we start quantum and and it's just blown up. So we're in Australia, New Zealand, the US, um, and we've just gone from. Uh, It's just what's needed because uh, the way we position our service is it's a monthly retainer. So you don't pay day rates to people to come in to help you um, because that's you you need you need that when you find yourself in trouble. Right. And our whole thing is is keeping you out of trouble. Um, And so instead of hiring a contracts administrator or contracts managers or lawyers, you would you would opt into our service, which is a monthly fee. Um, and it allows uh, subcontractors access to experts and to get make sure your paperwork gets done, make sure your contracts get negotiated for a much, much, much better value, if that makes yeah, sense. Um, and that's it. Um, so that's kind of where we are now. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been good. It's been good. Yeah. We've got a few awards. So we got Telstra Best of Business for Innovation and Outstanding Growth, which has been good. So it's nice to, I think now my granddad would be a bit more, Proud of me, if that makes yeah. sense. Not that that's a, a massive driving factor, but it does. It means something, you know. It's.
1: It, I think when you're born of the industry, there is a massive values connection with what you do and what you contribute because you feel like you're part of a bigger machine or a bigger sort of monster, so to speak. And I know with myself when I see things start to go south or new legislation comes out that I know is not going to work in practice, like the guy at the back of the U is not going to be able to go and. Take an adjudication himself and win because the procedural trickery is so intense that it's unlikely he'll be able to navigate that. And so I I also feel a sense of responsibility for um, helping the industry in a better way. And I know for myself, if I look at well, do I want to go and be one of those lawyers that targets the builders or the contractors because they have repeat ongoing disputes? You're basically profiting from somebody's misfortune over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And the irony of it is that if you look at the difference between a front end and a back end lawyer, they talk about the back end lawyers are the guys who have got the ticket to go to court and do the really high risk stuff. And they're always the slick money end of town lawyers. But it's the front end people who actually get you the results and save you the money. But unfortunately, being able to quantify that is quite difficult because a lot of people don't actually know how to put a value on money they don't spend. And I always think of subcontracting. and this is so, I'm keen to know your thoughts on this. and I've pondered why the construction industry is so special so specially broken that we need security of payment legislation all around the world just for Mm -hmm. our industry. Like why us? Why is it so bad? Is it the hierarchy? Is it the blue-collar discrimination? But I actually think it's about maths. I think it's because you obviously have the person at the top with the main contract and then the subcontractors, you're splitting it up into like 50 to 100 different trades. So it's actually Mm -hmm. a mathematical equation based on statistics of the number of different contracting parties about the likelihood that something could go wrong under all of those contracts. Mm. So it's interesting because if you think about it from a subcontractor's point of view, a lot of people will call me and say, I've never had this problem before. And Most recently we had a a roofer who had been in business for 50 years, never ever had a dispute, was just about to retire and he gets ripped off a few hundred thousand dollars. I've never had this problem before. Why now? What's? And I'm like, it's a statistical likelihood based on the number of transactions you're doing and the variables are who you're in bed with. And if you haven't done your due diligence and you haven't done the little shit test at the start of the contract when you're negotiating to see if they're just going to tell you take it or leave it or if they're actually going to be good people and discuss the terms with you makes such a difference in terms of whether or not you will end up in dispute. Uh, The Mm. number of people I know who have been in dispute and we've done a tiny bit of due due diligence and they've been in court 26 times in the last 18 months Mm. and you just go, oh, if you'd just done that search, that free search, imagine (laughs) Mm. you might have made a different decision.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I I would, you know, in that conversation that you have with that guy, I would say that that problem always existed. He just mm. never experienced it, right? The, the risk was always there. The risk never changed. He just never experienced that. It never came to fruition. Mm. And so that's the, the, the problem that a lot of the subcontractors have is that um, success looks like silence. Risk is silent. Mm-hmm. And so, when uh, in risk, um, what success looks like is, is silence. Nothing happens. But the downside is so harsh, right? When something bad happens, you really feel the downside. But something good happens, you, you don't. It's almost like um, eating healthy, right? So you're eating healthy and you, you kind of feel that like this is normal. Right. But then when you start eating unhealthy, you're like, oh, I feel awful. I've, I've been eating takeaway and I've whatever. I need to get back on track. That's kind of the analogy, you know, to, to think about, because yeah. it it's 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 a bit different. Um, and it's, it is hard to justify. And the problem is because subcontractors don't get stung. They don't get hit with a the problem. They don't think there's a problem. And mm-hmm. then they don't do anything about their problem. But the way I would um, really encourage Uh, subcontractors to look is look at the biggest guy in your industry right look at the biggest company in in whoever it is in your sector right and think to yourself do they have uh, do they have lawyers do they have contracts people do they have contracts administrators and i mean i mean that's they they do right and then why do they do that right and if you think about it you the way you know in the pre-award if you're a big company you'll employ a lawyer right so we're we're talking big money for a lawyer okay Mm -hmm. um in the post award phase if you're a big company right in your sector you will have a contracts administrator or quantity surveyor on site right so not as big money but you're still money right Mm -hmm. so that's let's let's say 200 grand we're talking 150 or something right and then right uh, so add them together they're willing to spend 350 400 grand on every project, mm-hmm. because there is there is a return, right? And yeah. you know, my my favorite phrase is the returns are in the terms. Um, and so they understand that that in construction, you got to deliver the, deliver your 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 service, your 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 product, whatever it is. But you also need to get paid for it, and they understand that. And so, if you can da- if you can think, okay, well, if they're doing it, I need to do it, and then how can I do it in my company? Um, mm. then you'll be, you know, if you understand that it's important, then that's that's really important.
1: Yeah, I think also it's a in a big way managing expectations too. Uh, a lot of people think, oh, if I'm going to have a dedicated contracts administrator, do you know, I used to work for builders who used to gas like subbies like this all the time, and these guys were in financial crisis, so it's no wonder they were doing this. But one of the biggest bugbears I've got is those veteran construction managers who are sort of on their hoity-toity high horse who say, it's only the subbies who try to negotiate contact, contract terms that are the problem, If they just want to put the contract in the drawer and get on with the job, you know, we wouldn't have these issues. I'm like, well, actually, you guys went and paid a lawyer to write those terms into your contract. So clearly those circumstances have catalyzed Mm. such that you've gone and said to the lawyer, we need to be covered for this, 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 this. And when they do that, I want to be able to do this. So write that in there because the Australian Standard Conditions of Contract and the NEC and all of the other ones they all to a varying degree sort of balance out the risk I wouldn't say any of them are completely fair but when you're
0: a lot fairer than than what we see now right? a
1: lot fairer than what we see now and you know I think it's it's part of the systemic sort of hierarchical issue is if I'm a lawyer acting for a builder I've got to represent them to the best of my ability and It's not about giving a fair, unless they give us express instructions to make that fairer or make that balanced, you need to think about every possible scenario. And if you think about the way lawyers operate, they've got insurers behind them that are going to say, well, Mm. why didn't you consider that? So everybody's got their own little interests in their back pocket. But a really good example, um, one that we've been talking about a bit lately with the law firm, is uh, designers, people who have professional indemnity policies. And formwork is a classic example. They won't have an engineer that is in their camp, so they don't hold the professional indemnity insurance policy, but they'll have a consultant who does the formwork engineering design and then that person will hold the insurances. Mm -hmm. The builder's contract will have indemnities out the wazoo that basically will void that guy's insurance policy. So if you actually got the engineer's insurance policy and open it up and go, hang on a second, he's not covered if he indemnifies the builder. And suddenly the builder, if you if you went to a builder in a contract negotiation up front and said, hey, I've got this problem with this clause. This is why. Here's my policy. See how mm-hmm. it says I'm not covered. Every mm-hmm. other person who's tendering for you has this same problem. Go and ask them. You yeah. think you're not going to get an outcome because in a practical sense, the builder wants you to have insurance, no questions asked. Sure. And Suddenly, you start to see change from the bottom up because that builder then goes back to the lawyer who wrote the contract and says, "Hey, this is not working," mm. and you can see how we get outcomes.
0: You're absolutely completely right, but there there is a bigger problem in this, and this is where I think the insurance companies it's in their it's in their interest to remain silent because they'll they'll say, "Ah, oh, you're you've signed a contract that basically avoids our our insurance." Yeah, and so we're not paying out. Yeah, and so. Uh, And and one thing to know for people listening is your insurance companies will almost do free stuff for you if you want them to. So you can send stuff and go, hey, does this comply? Does it comply? You can get a bit of free work out of them. So that's one thing to know, because they Mm -hmm. they should be doing that for you. Um, But really, the 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 systemic problem, and I don't think it's going to go away. Is that we have a tier one contractor who's a finance company and their sole purpose is profit so they make um they make their money from uh winning the work getting a loan subcontracting the work and making money on the on the margin on the delta right so they're only worried about cost and so in the last, and then i'm sure you you'll notice michelle and anyone is listening to us in the last quarter of a project where they're losing money, they're going to send teams in there to recoup costs. Yeah. And if you haven't complied with your paperwork and you haven't done anything, the they're going to come after you. And then no one really gets hit with liquidated damages, right? And then bear, bear with me. What happens is they say, hey, you're late because you didn't get this EOT approved. And you're like, oh, but you delayed me. Like, why? And they're yeah. like, well, you didn't comply with the contract. So you're late, which means in theory, you have this amount of LDs. And so we're going to take that off your final payment claim. And then mm-hmm. you say, no, I don't agree with that. I don't, that's not, okay, okay, okay. How about we agree to split the difference? And then you agree, but, and then that's what happens. And that's how you lose money because you're over a barrel, right? Yeah. That's really what happens in day-to-day life. Um, so that's what you need to be careful of. Yeah. And protect yourself against
1: that. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, it's funny story. Uh, one of our, well, it's not a funny story really. One of our clients recently is another Irish guy and I just love the way he articulates this issue. I was talking to him about liquidated damages and I was saying to him, you have to give these notices. If you sign this contract, you have to give these notices. Otherwise, not only will you not get delay costs, but you will be on the hook for these LDs. And he says to me, are you telling me I've got to show my hand right from the very start? I've got to constantly be doing my admin and the builder just sits back and does nothing until the end. And then just makes a decision. And I said, yeah, that's, that's your lot in life because mm-hmm. you're signing up to a subcontract document that requires you to give notices. And mm-hmm. he's like, that's insane. So what I just do nothing. If I do none of these notices, I'm just literally just waiting to see a lottery at the end. Cause the builder could just sit back. I'm like, show me a job that has run on time. I've never mm-hmm. seen one. Never even in the best yeah. conditions with like yeah. funding money from people. I've never seen it happen.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I completely agree. And, and just, just like the big tier ones have what's called closeout teams. And so at the end of a project, you know that and 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 also if you think about it pm's move on so you've had a relationship with a guy and the pm is he's coming to an end of a two year job and he's thinking to himself oh at the end of this job I'm I'm going to be an overhead and they're going to sack me basically so I'm going to try to get a job elsewhere so he's going to want to move because the job's coming to an end if he gets an offer of a three year job somewhere else he's going to go and take it for sure mm-hmm. And so relationships go at the end of the project. So anything you've relied on to that point is gone. But then uh, these bigger companies bring in closeout teams, which do the same thing. And they go, hey, I don't care what agreements you had with X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z. We're going back to the contract. You haven't complied with the contract. Therefore, we're not paying you. And, and I've seen situations where they go, all of those variations that you got approved were approved in error. And we're going to, it's payment on account.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm not. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's uh, really, really um, bad stuff. But to to your Irish friend and to other people is if you if you start off, if you become contractual towards the end, it's confrontational. Without a doubt. I agree. And so so many construction companies are worried about, you know, ruining relationships. And if you do that, if you're like passive the whole way and then you get contractual, that will do that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You're right. However, if you start off submitting your notices and your variations on time, one, you look professional. They actually go, oh, these guys are switched on. They know what they're doing. Right. So don't get like the the the, the big companies are doing this. The, the, the companies that you refer to as contractual, contractually savvy, commercial, they are doing this and they're the guys that make the money. And so if you do that, you're going to, one, you're going to look professional. They're going to, they're you're going to have better reputation in the industry um, for being, you know, oh, these guys know what they're doing. Mm. And the second thing is you're building a body of evidence for that last quarter. And then mm-hmm. when they try that little stunt at the end, which they'll always try, you can go, sorry, I've submitted all of these notices, all of these EOTs. You've yeah. got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding. And then you've got uh, or but what actually will happen. And this is where success looks like silence is they'll look at you and they go, oh, they've submitted all their notices. They're covered. We'll go after somebody else. instead."
1: Yeah. that's just easier fish to pick than you exactly and yeah no it's um it's exactly what I've been seeing as well and what you say is true when you're working for I was working for tier two builders so I wasn't working for tier ones and usually those guys are even more scrappy and it's bush lawyering because they don't have closeout teams and things like that what they have is people who have to cover up their mistakes at the end (laughs) (laughs) and yeah so one of the things I used to do at the very start of the job and I learned I learned construction client side as well so when I first started in the industry I was client side and so I learned really early the way to keep the client feeling safe was to be consistent and predictable and so at the start of every job I would send every principal we had at the very start of the job all of our template notices and go these are the ones we're going to be using for the job can you let me know if there's anything you want me to add and so before you even give one they've seen them and then mm, the very first really one nice. you give it's is good. always going to be the delay to commencement because everybody's going to still be talking about the contract. And if you can get sure. one through the door, that's not controversial and mm-hmm. talking common sense to these guys, it's really difficult for them to look you in the eye at the start of the job and say, you're not entitled to an EOT, but we're also not ready for you. Yeah. So, yeah,
0: that's very smart. Um, a little trick that you can, uh, that we try to use is that do you know the way everyone submits technical documents via doc control? Mm-hmm. right so what you can set up is let's just say we got searson searson construction right and um, you can set up uh contracts at searson construction or doc or doc whatever and submit your notices via that way yeah. right and you can cc the pm on but it doesn't go directly to him it's procedural and, and if he kicks up about it you're just like oh well the contract says to do we got it like just like our technical documents we have to submit it yeah and the other the other little trick is don't make it from Kian to Michelle right because that's personal make it like a notice right like a memo right and it's just a memo that we submitted and it goes in that way and that way it's not like you know confrontational you you're not yeah you know it's not like oh why are you doing this it's just oh that's just what you asked us to do and we're doing it because we're professional and you know that that's it and then when you got that it's good and then you you said the little shit test which i really liked is that this becomes a shit test because on that first delay that you submitted all of a sudden, you're like, hmm, they didn't approve that, or they kicked up stink about that, which is telling me what's going to happen. So, if they ask me to do additional work, I've got to think to myself, hmm, maybe I should wait until the variation is approved before I start working because they may not approve it
1: yeah. quickly.
0: In which case, I'm I'm financing it for them yeah. um, essentially.
1: Yeah, exactly. Oh, we could talk for hours and hours about all of this stuff. It's so good to have a, a nerd that has sort of lived the same path as me. Um, I'm interested to know. Obviously, there must have been something. Was it was it you having to be the person to short pay subbies that stirred something in your heart to go? No, I'm going to start this type of business. Is that how it was for you?
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. There was there was two things. It was um, well, I was. It's just a, the the court like it was it was that for sure. And then I was working as a as a director in a in a kind of a cost and contract management consultancy, and I didn't enjoy the way that they helped these guys, right? Because it was almost like it didn't um, it you know their their goal the way they wanted to do business right. And we we'd sit in a management meeting and they'd say I want you to you know, go in there and I want you to land and expand. Right, go in there, get one person in there, get another person in there, and that's how you made money, right? Yeah. And that's how they make money. And it was never—we never talked about how did we save the money, how did we stop them. Out. And I'm just like, this isn't is just not for me anymore. I just—it's just you know, this the consulting world that like in that large organization. I was like, it's not. It's just. It's all about making commissions, getting more people in there. It's not about helping the actual people. And it was that. That was those two things combined was the straw that brought the camel's back for me.
1: Yeah, that's so great. Um, I had some similar experiences where I had to short pay people, um, but I was lucky in the sense that when I went build side from client side, I worked with a really ethical construction team for a building company, and the, um, the construction manager there was a British guy, and he used to just say to me, like, Unlet scope is gonna unlet scope and programming issues will be the two things that will bleed your contract. You need to know enough about this guy's scope of work to sit down and have a proper post-tender meeting. And a lot of the negotiation skills that I use now with builders, I learned from watching this one particular guy because he was so good at getting the subbies in and going right. So I noticed this on the drawings what do you think we should do about this and just the way that he approached it he was completely Mm -hmm. vetting these people to see if they could actually build what they needed to build but he wasn't talking about contractual things he's talking about you know um where are you going to put your guys we've got a remote job do you have accommodation have you made any inquiries about it we've been talking to this person oh did you talk to that person here's a number for someone to talk to this person and it was all just talking in terms of when the job is built all of these arrangements will be in place but um it was so well done and I got so much satisfaction out of those jobs. We built some really profitable jobs. And at the end of it, I was part of this group called Future Leaders in Toowoomba. Um, And I was pretty young. I made this presentation and got all the subbies to come to the building that we built for Hastings Steering and Harrington Road in Toowoomba. All the subbies turned up and then all these lawyers and accountants, everyone from the Future Leaders, clicky group of consultants all came in this room And I sort of got up on stage in front of everyone and I showed them this slideshow of all of the workmanship features in the building. And one of them in particular, we had this 16 and a half meter long wall and it's like 10 and a half meters high or something like that. I can't remember now, it was about 10 years ago. And the two boys that actually built the wall were 15 years old with their dad, who was about 60 something. And it was like stinking hot summer, the throw on blocks up. I was so impressed and the foreman had said to me at the end of this job do you realize that this entire wall he said the surveyor came along is less than 10 mil from one end to the other that's how good they have done this wall and so I was putting up these pictures to these lawyers and accountants in this future leaders thing thinking like I need to explain to them how difficult this stuff is that these people are actually building with their hands mm-hmm. and how we just take for granted that the trades people are sort of the blue-collar workers and we're the slick ones, with the you know, the lawyer and accounting degrees and come to these future leader events, are sort of showing them all up, you know, like you guys think you're good at your words and your numbers. Check this out. You really think you could lift as many blocks? And it was so satisfying. Um, same building company went to work out of the city office and jobs in financial crisis everywhere and completely different ethical way of running things. But one thing I learned very quickly is when there's a finite amount of money, there's a decision tree and it's got nothing to do with wanting to rip people off. It's about what's there to be paid and just batting people back, batting people back. And that was one of the most soul-destroying things for me. I had subbies who I had really good relationships from the regional office who I'd brought down to work on my city jobs who got ripped off lots and lots of money on technical liquidated damages, things like Mm. that. And when you're in a position where you have a boss and you have loyalty to a company that has given you opportunities, I know that company helped me study things like that. And then suddenly you're in this position where you can see that these people have family businesses But your boss has also got a family business as well. Mm. These staffers are put in this position where they have to decide, am I going to go down with the ship and be the loyal soldier because that's where my ethics lie? Or am I going to jump ship and try and help some of these subbies or just get the hell out of here and Mm. go and find a happier place to work? That was the real catalyst for me. And then I finished working uh, for builders when I finished my law degree, went to work for a law firm and, I was, I was so excited to see these tradies come in because I had gone from driving my ute to site at 6am and my phone starts ringing at 6am, working on site all day. And then literally on the Friday I finished and on the Monday I started in this big tower in the city in a room with no windows or natural light with a computer and a phone that nobody called. And I was just like, where's my people? This is insane. And when they would turn up, they were in so much trouble. It was like, hey, so if you want to have this conversation, Consultation, you're going to have to put this much money in the trust account. It can be next Friday. So they're like putting thousands of dollars in the trust account and waiting till next Friday to get this consult. The consult's all bad news. You've got two options, court or adjudication, you know, just horrible, horrible stuff. And in almost every single situation, I could reverse engineer and pinpoint the email they should have sent or the notice they should have given. And it was one piece of paper. That Mm. was literally contingent upon whether or not they would get paid or not. And it just, I remember saying to the lawyer, like, this is insane. This is like, if he'd just done this and he was saying to me, Michelle, yeah, you're right, but that's Mm. not the service lawyers provide. There's a place for that, but that's not the service lawyers provide. So I lasted about 12 weeks and <laughs> left left that firm um, when, and started thinking about how can I help these subbies. And it just sort of happened organically. People just started calling me going, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And it's mm. all admin-based stuff. It's not mm. law. It's not the law that will help no. you in the front end. The no. front end will save you from the law in the back end if you use it yeah. properly.
0: There's a, there's a different way to... Um, like for if you own a construction business if you're a subcontractor right i i I, please listen to this This is important you can interpret drawings like anybody right and it's it's you know it's amazing skill set right but you have to be able to interpret the contract right you don't need to be a lawyer to interpret a contract you need to be able to interpret the contract and what you have to do you that's part of that's that's drawings it's just it's just a different type right it's just here's here's a document you've got to be able to do it and so once you can do it you're going to be so much better off because you're not going to get yourself into these these uh, situations because you understand what you're talking about and we're seeing now a lot of our clients and we're're we're, we're, we're pushing we're like pushing back a lot and we're actually getting huge success and the reason is if you have if you understand The the contract, and you're able to speak to the client, and you can say, "Hey, look, we need a rise and fall clause," and they're like, "No, no, we don't." You're like, "Well, okay, let's 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 just look. Right, the last two years the price of steel went doubled, right? And so if you want us, if that would put us out of business immediately, right? Essentially, we'd lose money to hand over fist, and we don't have an escalation clause. You can hold us to that, and then we'll go out of business, and then." OK, we can't do the work for you. So you're delayed. You get another contractor in and his rate is going to have it's going to be on top of the new price. So you're going to end up paying a fortune. Right. So if we have rise and fall in the contract. We'll escalate the race. You will actually we'll still be able to deliver the project and like it'll work out for you guys. And so if you're able to have those type of conversations or you want to have a conversation about, um you know, delivering steel to site and not getting paid for it until it gets installed, and all of those little things. You can explain to them, "Hey, here is why, um, and, and uh, how it can affect you." Then people are like, "Oh, right," because you said there in your in your story about the lawyers, um, they don't necessarily understand how construction companies work.
1: Mm.
0: And if you explain it to them, they're like, "Oh, yeah, okay, that seems reasonable." And so many that seems reasonable conversations, and now as we're recording this, it's February, 2023, the market has changed in that the the bigger construction companies and clients are looking at subcontractors going, the most important thing for me is that you can finish this work. You can do it, right? I'm less concerned about price anymore. I just need to make sure that you can do it, Mm -hmm. which means that you can negotiate better terms, you can negotiate better prices, and this power has shifted. So if you have a good balance sheet and you're confident you can do the work, you can you can negotiate because it's not it's not the same anymore. They're concerned about hey, yeah. companies are going to go bust, companies are going to have a business and that's our main concern.
1: Yeah. No, it's so true. And if it's not enough for anyone listening to know all the reasons why for your business, health and success, you should negotiate contract terms. Think about your responsibility to the industry. If four out of five people are negotiating contract terms now and we can get five out of five people negotiating contract terms now. It's no longer, oh, no, we don't negotiate contract terms. Eventually, the economic tide will turn. Competition will return to the market. Resourcing, you guys will be looking for work and cutting each other's throats on price again at some point. You need to gain ground now so that your starting point for these contract terms is so much better when that happens. And I completely agree with the understanding of what's in a contract. It's the same thing as if you get cookie cutter template notices and you don't look outside the notice to see what the contract says you have to put in the notice. You just use the same notice for every job for every contract. Um, But same thing with and done for you contract reviews definitely have a place. But if you're, if the person that is giving you a done-for-you contract review is not explaining to you what's in the contract, not asking you about the context of the job, not asking you about your business, not asking you about your suppliers and what their terms are and warranties and how you're going to make it all work, they're not actually giving you proper advice because they're not mm. giving you... They're giving you advice based on what the clause says and whether they think black and white, the clause should stay or go, but it mm. needs to be given in light of the context of what's actually happening. And so many people come to us after spending 20 grand with lawyers and I -hmm. I get a lot of flack for bagging out lawyers, obviously, because I am a lawyer, but uh, they'll come to us after spending 20 grand with the lawyer and almost 80% of what the lawyer is trying to fight for is irrelevant to their trade. Never going to happen. Not even, not even in a stretch. I, and, IP,
0: IP, sorry, yeah. like for example, why, well, like, what, like, sorry, what are you fighting for a massive IP for a civil company, right? Yeah. O- unless they have a specific way to do it. Well, what's this big argument? They don't have an issue, whatever, just let it true, yeah. right? And then rise and fall. If the contract is two months long or three months long, yeah. what's the point? Yeah, it's like, exactly. no point fighting for that, you know?
1: Yeah. And I mean, like things like termination for convenience, but they're a lift subby they're supplying and installing a lift that they're building the building for your lift. Like yeah. by the time that it's never going to be convenient to terminate you. So yeah. all of those things, um, usually when you get somebody who comes to you and you go, wow, you can fix this for that much money. And you're like, yeah. And they're like, I can't believe I've spent 10 times that down the road. Mm-hmm. And you just sort of feel really bad for them. But I understand why subbies have been so deterred from negotiating contract terms, because prior to, everything shifting two to three years ago and people becoming a little bit more awake to needing to do it i also think it's because the younger generations are more woke in a really good way and probably a little bit more educated about this stuff and a lot of them are getting coaching from business coaches which Mm. you can if you can get a really good business coach i'm all for that because it will teach you to do these things and how to how to get them done but um historically they would go to a lawyer pay money in trust, you'd go in there because the lawyers got to give you the worst possible outcome advice mm-hmm. all the time for their insurance. They will tell you not to sign it because you will never get given a building contract that is okay for you to sign as it is. So they'll mm-hmm. say, we have to advise you not to sign this contract. So now they've spent money estimating, money going to the post-tender meeting, money reading their contract themselves. Then they go to the lawyer and spend money with the lawyer just to go, oh, well, we can't take the job but they're not actually giving them a way to take the job that's safe Mm. or at least commercially viable, because there's a difference between getting a black and white advice about what's in a contract and making a commercial decision on risk. You make a commercial decision on risk based on all the variables, including the legal risk, Mm. but also there's that commercial risk. There's, do we have the money to bankroll this? Do I have the resources? Do we want to go on holidays in the middle of this contract? Like there's so Mm. many things for a business owner to think about. Um, but look, I don't want to keep rambling because I think we'll probably have a four hour podcast episode if we keep um, going. So I just wanted to say thank you very much. Can, I think what we need to do before we sign off is explain to anyone listening what the differences between our businesses are and who is the right fit for each business. So can you let me know who is your unicorn client and what is the service that you provide?
0: So we um, essentially are, we are um, a, smart, a smart contracts administration solution for construction companies. So we will only really deal with companies that have a revenue of more than five million. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, if you are, if you're you a process for, uh, if you're processed internally, for reviewing contracts and uh, um it may, maybe you have your pms doing this as a side hustle the contracts work as a side hustle and then you don't have stra- strategy you don't know how to manage a dispute or avoid the dispute that's when you would engage us and we would do all of that for you okay yep. but we we will only deal with larger construction companies yeah like um,
1: so commercial subbies working for commercial contractors
0: um when you say commercial, we we, um, I, we you know it's just to be clear, we work in all the only the only companies we wouldn't work with construction wise are residential yes. uh, unless they're building a skyscraper uh, or like yeah. a block of apartments. So yeah. it'll be oil and gas, mining, um you know, proper uh, infrastructure um and and commercial but when I say commercial I'm talking offices and apartment yeah. blocks and that sort of stuff
1: yeah and so and you're doing a done for you service contract administration um yep. service on retainer so yeah the difference between your business and our business tricks of your trade is we do a done with you service so we have a membership based um, system where if you've got an admin person and typically, I mean, we will work with any subcontractor who wants to work with us. We don't base it on a revenue value, but we do find that if you at least have an admin person who can champion doing all those things, or if you have got a bookkeeper, a estimator and an operations manager, or project manager, you can split out who, who divvies up the responsibilities for those roles. So, um, So, yeah, that's that's basically it. But it's been so great to talk to you. And I just I can't tell you enough how excited I am. And it's ridiculous. My husband was saying to me, is this your competitor? And I'm going, yeah, but there's so much need for this that and I just want other businesses to pop up with the right values. That's the the one thing that is just so important is that. Um, because subbies have been suppressed for so long. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's classic when you said to me, oh, I was 13 and we were sweeping. I'm thinking, yes, it's so quintessentially typical, isn't it? I was yeah. in there as an apprentice sweeping. And, you know, the blue collar discrimination, I think, is, it's, I don't think it's ever going to be gone because of the hierarchical nature of the contract chain. And mm-hmm. it, it is what it is. But
0: you um, just, just got to get smarter
1: we've got to get smarter. And you know, um, another bug bear in mind when they weren't gaslighting you about being the subby that would mark up the contract. The other thing they would say is, look, if they're dumb enough not to be able to do it right, subbies need to pull their socks up. They're, they're in business too. I'm like, yeah, but every time they do pull their socks up and they get smart with you, you slap them back down and tell them to stop being contractual. So which is it? Do you want them to be really good at their business or do you want them to just shut up and get the job done? And then you'll just take what you want whenever you want from their business. So yeah. it, it gets me pretty riled up.
0: Yes, all things considered, though today, um, I put uh, the construction industry is a ten point five trillion dollar industry, um, and it's behind tech and it's behind um, finance, and it's not going anywhere. We'll always be constructing. So there will all, it's as an industry, it's a fantastic industry to be part of. Um, one of the best moments, I think, in my construction career is being in a cabin in Iraq. Um, and there was a, a, a US guy there, there was an Irish guy, there was a Scottish guy, an Australian guy, I think there was like a Lebanese guy, and we're all in there um, with George Foreman um and in, in in iraq you can't eat pork and there was bacon going there was sausages going there was everything this this cabin stunk like if you're if you're a mile away you could smell you could smell the the food coming out so it is a great industry to be part of um so all things considered you just subbies need to know now that the game is and and the, the problem is the game is happening whether you're playing it or not and so yeah. you need to understand the contracts game it's part of construction now and that's just the bottom line yeah
1: it's totally true. Yeah. Well, thank you again. And uh, I'm going to put your details in the show notes. So, anyone listening to this uh, who wants to contact Quantum Contract Solutions or Kian, by all means, grab those details and get in, get in contact.
0: And, and just one if you have, uh, we've got a podcast um, called Construction Secrets, and it is essentially is all the failures and mistakes. Uh, that we've seen uh, time and time again from construction companies um, that they've had. So just by listening to it, you are hopefully be able to make sure those things don't happen to you. Mm -hmm. um, And hopefully you get educated. And then we have a website called constructionsecrets.io and there's free training there for everybody. And then again, if you're over 5 million, you can go to quantumcontractsolutions.com and we've got a free case study there and you can you can check it out. There's eight construction companies and it's a video. Um, and if you're um, interested, we uh, you could jump on a call and have a chat.
1: Sounds amazing. Thank you again. Okay, thanks, Michelle. If you have any questions about what I've talked about on this podcast, feel free to drop me a good old-fashioned email at questions at tricksofyourtrade.com.au. If you would like a systematic approach to your contract administration and getting paid, head on over to our website and check out the Subbies Toolbox. You won't be disappointed there. And just one last time, our web address is www.tricksofyourtrade.com.au. Are you
0: an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the darkest farm site keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing paper, swinging your tools the more you gave up? Call us the
1: Tricks of Your Trade. Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed.
0: Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow you fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter. Don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade.